Welcome to This Human Life with The Philosophical Coach. I'm thrilled to have you tuning in. I'm your host, Sam Kukathis, aka The Philosophical Coach, philosopher, Hume expert, and high-performance coach. This podcast is designed for you to go from being the passenger in your life to the owner of your life. It is designed for you to go beyond who you know yourself to be, really. If that intrigues or excites you, then you are definitely in the right place. The ideas are drawn from neuroscience, philosophy, my coaching practice, working with elite leaders, and experience. You can expect candor, humor, vulnerability, and ideas which are unfamiliar to you, and some you may just plain disagree with. You'll also get the opportunity to hear from inspiring coaches and leaders. Now let's get ready to question what we know and go beyond our limitations. We live in a world consumed by the paradox of choice and shiny object syndrome. I can see countless times in my life where hours have been wasted through analysis paralysis. This is a term which is endemic in the world of being a creative, a researcher, a writer. The list goes on. And it's not helped by the celebrated quote where Oscar Wilde says, I was working on the proof of one of my poems all morning and I took out a comma and in the afternoon, well, I put it back again. There's no doubting the genius of Wilde, but the impracticality of this for modern life is palpable. And yet for so long, this has been somewhat of a calling card of the perfectionist. When someone asks, why is it taking so long to finish something, they can fall back on saying, I'm still working on getting it right. And believe me, I know a lot about this approach to life. For longer than I care to recall, this was simply the way I lived. Whether it was making a decision about which headphones to buy, which dish to order, what introduction to keep, what the correct order of the argument was, it was quite simply pervasive. And all of it had an underlying theme. I was trying to get it right. I didn't want to make the wrong decision. If I was to choose something, I could get it wrong. Then what? No doubt I would feel regret. I would lambast myself for being so stupid and the circle of impending doom for making this error would erupt. Cue the never-ending thought-feeling loop which brings analysis paralysis. But analysis paralysis only becomes a symptom of our habits and behaviours if there's already some underlying fear and we believe that the pathways to what we want are binary. If you choose right, then all will work out. If you choose wrong, then get ready to cue the disappointment. Is there any way you can see that analysis paralysis gets in your way? And even if it doesn't, there may be the seemingly less scary way of understanding this, simply indecision. The very word speaks to being a process of making a decision. So you tell yourself you're doing something. You're in the process of making a decision. And that process you tell yourself is extremely valid. And if others question your process, you get defensive and you say, I need more time to make a decision. In other words, you allow considerations and questioning to get in the way of making a decision. We often kid ourselves into thinking that what we're really doing is weighing up the costs and benefits, and this is a legitimate part of decision making. But this assumes that there is always time to weigh up your subjective assumptions. When a motorbike comes whizzing past you down a congested Bangkok pavement, this is not a moment we weigh up whether they will see you and divert. No. We act instantly. The cost of consideration is not present. We simply move out of the way. A pregnancy can involve a split decision where the couple choose between forceps or a C-section. The cost is clear. Don't choose and risk losing the child. 
Now, these are extreme examples, but the point here is that we do not tend to see weighing up considerations as necessary in every situation. There are only some times when we fall back on these habits and behaviors. And even if we can be indecisive in certain situations, that does not make us as people indecisive. We have the capacity to be decisive in a moment, independently of our existing habits and behaviors. Now that might conceptually make sense, but I want to take this a step further. If someone was to ask you your weaknesses, and indecision is something you relate to, would you say to them, I am indecisive? Or would you more likely say, in some situations I can be indecisive? If you can see that you would say, I am indecisive, then great. You're already making progress. Why? Because you're catching the existing ways in which you relate to certain habits or behaviors. And if you're in the camp that can see that indecision is not a feature of who you are, but something which emerges in certain situations, then you're a step ahead of the curve, and that's great too. But let's back up a step though so others can catch up. I am indecisive. What is going on here when we utter this? First, we are getting present to how we relate to who we are. This is the armor we wear day in, day out. And as our belief in our indecisiveness grows with new evidence, the armor gets heavier and it weighs us down more and more. And eventually that armor is so heavy that we can't move forward. We simply surrender to it being part of us, deflated, exasperated and tired. We say those four famous words, I can't do it. And when those magic words are spoken, a chasm opens up and we experience more and more evidence for our point of view. What you like to call that chimp on your shoulder starts echoing this with verbatim, I told you you could not do it. How could you be so stupid to think you could do it? Your breath suddenly shortens, your heart races faster and you let out a heavy sigh. Fuck. Fuck my life, you say. In that moment, you have convinced yourself that being indecisive is your poison chalice. And you just have to grin and bear it. It feels so unfair. Why is it so easy for others to choose? So now if you can relate to this, this may be feeling way too real. And you're anxiously wondering, when will it get better? What can I do about this? I don't want to stay in this place. And if you are, that's a great sign. Why? Because too often in life, we are numb to what something is costing us, that we have no incentive to transform the situation. The cost has become such a familiar part of life that it no longer lives for us as a cost. It is simply something that is a part of our daily life. And I get it. There was so long where fear of getting it wrong or looking bad held me back that they became my go-to habits. What if it goes wrong? What if I fail? What if it doesn't go to plan? These concerns were pervasive and they kept me stopped. Literally, there were a stop sign which stayed front and center, and just as I was about to choose to head into the congestion and traffic, something else would come up, and the stop sign would be back in front of me again. That didn't stop others, though, from rushing past and taking charge of their situation. But clearly, I didn't have what they had. I hadn't been given the tools to be decisive. I guess it's because I have an analytic mind. Does that expression sound familiar to you? That categorization we like to use to describe people who are deep thinkers? Honestly, what a bunch of bullshit. What does it even mean to be a deep thinker? Consider that being a deep thinker is no different from being one of billions of people on the planet. They have thoughts, and then they have more thoughts about the things which they have come to associate with those thoughts. 
And then some of them then talk about those thoughts at the pub. They can tell you every key statistic around the Premier League season. They can tell you exactly which players their team needs to build a title-winning squad because they've thought about this at length. Or they're the person who's read every Potter book cover to cover, front and back, and they're predicting what will happen next before each new book is released. But they've also figured out what Ron, Hermione, and Harry's lives would be like now if the books were still being written. Or they're the person who ponders over every word that a writer has written, and they deconstruct the meaning, seeking to figure out the right interpretation or the best interpretation given their own beliefs and prejudices. So what is the errant assumption behind some people being deep thinkers and others not? It is simple. Your brain is not for thinking. It is for predicting. This is what acclaimed neuroscientist Lisa Feldman Barrett writes in her book, Seven Stories About the Brain. And if the brain is not for thinking, but for predicting, then either there's a vast difference between who we are and our brain, or the alternative is, we are all deep thinkers, or none of us are deep thinkers. Consider that idea for a moment. We've been taught to categorize people by the depth of their thought, but everyone has deep thoughts. These thoughts are simply not all about the same things, and our biases in society have created this divide called deep thinker versus shallow thinker. Imagine instead that what brings forth more and more thoughts about the same phenomenon is just a stacking of what in flow science they call intrinsic motivators. The more you experience a combination of curiosity and expertise about a subject, the more you have more and more thoughts which stack in related ways back to those things which invoke either your expertise or your curiosity. So if we're all deep thinkers because deep thoughts are just a stacking of other thoughts which are related, then we're also all analytic thinkers. Why? Because to be a human being is to interpret. Full stop. And I invite you to pause and look for a moment. Is there anywhere in life where you find interpretation is not at the forefront of your thoughts? Why has this person not got back to me? Did I offend them? Would the comma be better in or out? If I leave now, I'll still be able to make the appointment on time. What is time anyway? It's not real, so who cares if I'm a bit late? What on earth is this guy talking about? This is truly bizarre. I thought I was going to learn what I can do about my indecision. Hands up if you can see all of this is in the realm of interpretation. So what does this have to do with indecision? Interpretation is going to be ever-present. It's quite simply in the background of your thoughts, whether you're aware of it or not. But there's a massive difference between giving significance to every interpretation you have and actually living a life you choose. Werner Erhard would call this a separation between living life in the stands versus living life on the court. On the court is where all the action happens, where decisions are made. In the stands is where we reflect on the decisions we are weighing up. We ruminate, we ponder, and we figure it out. It's a difference between being a passenger on your own journey versus being the driver, choosing the direction, and carefully navigating speed bumps. Now you might be thinking that sounds lovely, but how can I be in the driver's seat of my life? So let's take a look at this. I was working with a guy who was dealing with indecision around starting his business. What was the key challenge he was facing in that moment? He was unsure of what name to register the company with. He was afraid if he committed to a name and chose the wrong name, then he would regret it. And what was showing up inside of this fear was inaction and lots of busy work. 
You know the kind where you're constantly doing something but you're not moving forward with any of the critical decisions which make the difference in your life or the state of your business? If you've ever experienced coaching before, you're likely aware that there is the presenting problem and then there's what lies behind this. In this case, the problem had little to do with his business and everything to do with how he saw commitment. Once we uncover the context in which he saw commitment, namely, commitment ends in tears, we were able to see the source of this belief in a small child. Something had happened, and the meaning constructed in the interpretation this event had was commitment ends in tears. Now, when you make a decision, what are you doing? Well, there may be multiple things which come to mind, but consider that one thing you're doing is committing. Commitment, though, for lots of people is a scary word with an inherent significance. And it's scary because what underlies it is a fear that things will not work out. Why? Because things have worked out badly in the past. And now you avoid putting yourself in situations in the future where things can work out badly again. Any of this sounding familiar? But whilst commitment has a dictionary definition, it has no inherent significance. There is only the significance you give it. Just like the word no has no inherent significance beyond what we give it. But we can save that discussion for another day. Commitment is an act of saying yes to someone or something. It could be saying yes to something which is temporary, or it could be something which is permanent. It all depends on how you interpret the act. So if you see choosing the name of a company as a life commitment, then getting it right, whatever that means, suddenly looks like a more significant and weighty choice. If, however, we see commitment as now, not necessarily forever, then we can more easily remove the fear around what it means to commit. When I started this podcast, I committed to the name until the time I saw this name didn't work as well as I'd like. And I got to see this because listeners had told me, if I didn't already know you, like you and trust you, then I would never have listened. Clearly that's feedback that's worth taking on board. And so I did. It didn't make me any less committed to the direction I had chosen initially. It simply meant I chose again. I made new commitments which were better aligned with the direction of what people actually wanted. And I have the freedom to change again or to do something new in the future if that becomes what aligns with what I'm doing and who I'm looking to contribute to. The point here is that a commitment means being stuck in your choice, then it can easily feel burdensome and you can feel constrained and ironically like you no longer have a choice. It's as if you've gone from being the driver on this journey to the passenger. So how did I help this guy get back into the driver's seat? We got to the source of the context around commitment and he saw the indecision it brought, not just in this arena, his business, but in life. Everywhere commitment was a possibility, the belief that showed up was that commitment ends in tears. And so as long as he held on to that belief, that was how commitment looked. And what it brought was indecision and fear of making a choice. Have you ever feared making the wrong choice and being stopped from really going for what you want? If you have, then I invite you to ask yourself, what would it look like to play full out and actually commit to my dreams being worth it, for my dreams to become a reality? No longer simply watching those around you seemingly succeed or make it, but kicking fear to the curb and getting into the driver's seat. What would that make available to you? I'll tell you what it made available to this guy. He committed to a name, knowing that was now and what aligned with now. 
and he came up with a new belief. Commitment no longer ended in tears. Rather, commitment was an opportunity. And inside of that opportunity, he is now making his dream a reality, impacting the field where he's an expert and has something unique to offer the world. He's not stopped by fear. He recognizes when it rears its head, but he keeps moving forward. He's broken past a default mode of being and acting in the world. Now, of course, indecision has many layers. And to really get to the source of what it looks like for you, we would have to go deeper. The good news for you is that I've created the opportunity for you to do this. And it's called Creating Powerful Leaders. It is three months of live group coaching with me each week where we will get to the source of blocks and shift you from indecision and being the passenger in your life's journey to showing up as the owner of your life, trusting yourself, unlearning what is in the way of you no longer holding anything back. You will go from being a passenger to being a powerful leader. Right now, you can work with me and our group for a fraction of the price. So if this speaks to you, then here is the moment to have the first breakthrough in trusting that you are worth it. Go to bit.ly slash creating powerful leaders. Whether you're a relative veteran of this podcast or a new listener, I really thank you for taking the time to listen. And if you've got value from this podcast, then it would mean the world to me if you rate and review it on Apple or Podchaser and share it with your community so that this work can impact more people. Because I'm on a mission to help people live a life free from constraints. And if you're ready to take this from information to transformation, then connect with us at thephilosophicalcoach.com.